Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So two long semi-classic conference finals are in the books. First time that both have gotten seven since the late 70s. But now, of course, we have to turn to the NBA Finals. And certainly, there's a little bit of fatigue, I guess, with this matchup. But I think the fatigue simply comes from the fact that Cleveland is by far their worst iteration, especially when you consider that Cleveland has been massive underdogs in now all four of these series. Going in, it does seem like kind of the exact same story again, but just an even more extreme version of that now that the Cavaliers are without Kyrie Irving and it's LeBron James and, you know, not much else, it seems like. I guess a little bit of context in terms of injuries is another part. I mean, like, so clearly this team at full strength is worse than the 2015 team, but the 2015 team wasn't full strength. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't I, even know it's also worth this, noting I, that the Warriors... I might actually like that 2015 team better, to be honest. Like, at least that team defended. Not not that the Cavs didn't have their the injured the injured yeah, twenty fifteen. Not that team. the Cavs didn't have their moments, but uh, well, yeah, Shumpert was a whole a whole lot better than than he was yeah, before. The yeah, yeah, and Jr. So. Smith was better at that time, although he had a terrible series. But going in, he he was had had a really good playoffs as well. And, and remember, Kyrie starting the series was healthy, or if not healthy, he was at least playing. And yeah, he, one of the best def- one of the best defensive games of his career was Game right, One of that final. Right. So and. You know, they at least had Mozgov and Thompson. Like, they they at least had a semblance of a strategy, you know, against the Warriors. Like, we're going to bludgeon you. We're going to play big. We're going to slow the game down. We're going to make your life really difficult. Uh, And then also, you know, I I think this seems like a bigger mismatch, too, because the Warriors now have Kevin Durant. You know, I'm not sure that Steph Curry is as good now as he was back then. Uh, But, and Andre Godala certainly nowhere near as good now as he was back then. And he may not even play. We'll see. But it's uh, this seems like, I mean, you'd have to say one of the biggest mismatches in NBA Finals history, maybe going back to the first LeBron James Finals appearance back in 2007. That's kind of what this feels like. Another piece of information that's relevant for that is that certainly an argument can be made that Cleveland, you know, their regular season numbers are not reflective of their talent level because they, you know, didn't play the sense of urgency. They were dealt a rough injury hand at moments in time, but they haven't been great in these playoffs. LeBron has been, to be sure, but, you know, plus 1.2 net rating overall so far. They've gone to seven games twice against teams that I think you make an argument that they are that they have the talent advantage on. I mean, both of those teams executed well against Cleveland, and, you know, a lot of other things happen, but there is also that disparity, and they were doing it against weaker competition than the Warriors have faced, especially in the conference finals. Yeah, I mean, finals. Uh, Cleveland... All right, they completely destroyed the Raptors. I mean, I, I think after the Boston series, though, I might kind of throw that out a, a little bit just because the Raptors were 
just had some kind of a mental block apparently i mean that led me to pick a sweep that series and and as it turned out pick a sweep in the conference finals how well cleveland played but it seemed like maybe that that series was more the outlier for this cleveland team than that first round series against the pacers but you know they still were able to get by boston and a great defensive team in boston but the fact is you know cleveland basically went seven games against two teams that are kind of you know high 40s low 50s win teams and this Warriors team at full strength is another animal I do think however that especially at times in this series Cleveland may find the going a little easier offensively than they did against Boston especially if Andre Iguodala is going to be out yeah I mean the the Warriors haven't executed as consistently defensively they did defend well overall in the rocket series but they had these weird lapses like i I don't think that they execute in the same but they also don't have as many guys they have they have plenty but they don't have as many players to throw at lebron as the celtics did now eventually he found ways and they got into mismatches like terry rozier and everything else we'll see a lot of that in this series as well but yeah i i think there could be times where it is a real challenge for the Warriors to defend the Cavs, especially if LeBron gets going, and we'll see how how the integrity of their help defense holds up and all of that. But what I think is the the bigger challenge for them, and this is exactly the same as it was last year, is that Cleveland is going to have to stop the Warriors because if this is a like a, an old West shootout, the Warriors just have better firepower. Yeah, I think my number one question is going to be, you know, what is Cleveland's defensive strategy going to be against the Warriors? Are they going to switch everything? Well, they actually have pretty damn good personnel to do that with now in their starting group if kevin love is is unavailable i do think there's an argument that kevin love has always been a horrible matchup against the warriors that he gives such a place to pick at defensively especially with steph curry not to mention kevin durant as well and so the problem is that kevin love forces you to play a conventional pick and roll defense usually something out on the floor trying to hard hedge and presser now without andre guadala the Warriors won't be able to deal with that quite as well. You know, if you're throwing the ball to Jordan Bell, you're throwing the ball to Kevon Looney, uh, in those pick and rolls, it's a little different. And certainly, certainly uh, Kevin Love, you would imagine, will be guarding there. And then LeBron James will probably have the Draymond Green assignment. They've had some relative success with that strategy. And then you can get LeBron switching on to Curry or switching on to Kevin Durant. Jeff Green will probably get the KD assignment. Green probably, I think, had the best defensive stretch of his career in these playoffs i think he can at least not just get completely destroyed by kevin durant and you know i think the strategy will be hey we're going to make kevon looney we're going to make especially looney but we're going to make jordan bell make plays if it's sean livingston who comes in you know probably kevin love will be on sean livingston uh or, or he'll probably be on andre guadala as well but you know certainly guadala and livingston much more capable of making plays out of that pick and roll double team than Looney or Bell. Something that I want to keep an eye on is how aggressively the Warriors go after mismatches. They have generally not done that too often, but they did in the Rocket Series, and so maybe they saw some benefits from that or just want to go back to more of the beautiful game, though they did get less ISO-heavy in the later games of the series, and I thought that ended up producing some real fruit for them. But if Kevin Love's on the floor, maybe that looks a lot like what they tried to do to Ryan Anderson in Game 7, and Steph Curry did make some hay in the third quarter. I mean, that was a big part of the run. We talked about it a lot on last night's show. But Curry hasn't been as dynamic as a one-on-one scorer in these playoffs as he has been in the past. That could be dealing with the knee issue. It could just be aging. 
It could be both. It probably is both. But how aggressively they attack those mismatches and what Cleveland does when forced into these challenging decisions, because, you know, I'm sure they would love not to switch, but against Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, if you choose not to switch, then you're probably giving up an open three at the mesh point. So that is a a, a challenging decision for their personnel. And, you know, Houston built their roster with that switchability in mind. It was their ethos the entire year. Cleveland is not built with that same mentality in mind. Yeah, I think, though, that this Cleveland team is actually a better defensive team than what they had last year. Uh, And with George Hill instead of Kyrie Irving, Hill is going to compete. He's going to execute. He's not the player that he was a couple of years ago. If he gets in a switch on on KD, that's going to be trouble. But I think he can do a decent job on Steph Curry trying to compete, get over screens. Same thing if he gets switched on to Clay Thompson. JR has been playing pretty solid defense this postseason he certainly is familiar with the matchup against Thompson after years and years and then with Jeff Green and Tristan Thompson starting at center as he has been you have to imagine they will continue that uh, even if love is available but if he's not I think that they can actually defend Golden State reasonably well with their switching now it might take them a while as it did with the Rockets you know they haven't been doing this all year the communication required playing against golden state switches their transition game you know it might take them a while to get comfortable with that and then of course love will probably be returning from the concussion right around that time you know we don't know if he's going to play in game one or not i would imagine though that he wouldn't play his full complement of minutes in game one anyway because the part of being in the concussion protocol is you know you're not really able to do physical activity until uh, you start ramping up slowly and then you you end up being cleared but there's a period of inactivity there that he, he's gonna have to ramp back up to i think though that cleveland could be relatively effective defensively so so uh, if they go to a switching strategy if they don't go to a switching strategy i think that they're pretty much dead on the other end your initial thought would certainly be well cleveland's not gonna be able to score against these guys you know they couldn't score very well against boston a lot of the time they did it a little better at home couldn't score against indiana obviously they lit up the raptors but especially uh, unless and if they're not going to play love at center i'm going to say they're going to struggle to score if they play love at center i think they might but then obviously they have their own defensive problems as well um so we'll talk a little bit in a second here about what golden state is going to do against this even more lebron centric offense than usual but first this from sonos had a few people over last month Uh, not something i get to do that often during the nba playoffs but we had that break in between the conference final or i'm sorry the conference semifinals and the conference finals so we had people over and we're just kind of sitting on the couch uh, playing some board games and i didn't really want to get up and and go over and and futz with the music i didn't even want to mess with the music on my phone because that kind of just takes you out of the conversation so all i said was alexa play paul simon and my sonos just instantly started playing it everyone was really wowed with the sound quality as well because when they came and set it up using their up and running service they're able to actually use an iphone to sample what the sound quality is in various parts of the room and actually optimize for your specific room using so it's really impressive stuff there and it sounds great we got their play bar that's hooked up to the tv we've got their sub which is awesome watch westworld last night sound was awesome on that and then, of course, there's that built-in Alexa functionality with the Sonos One. And so right now, Sonos is offering Dunked On listeners 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product at Sonos.com, S-O-N-O-S.com. 
This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. The way to do it is use the promo code. This is a different promo code here. Dunk10, D-U-N-C-10 at Sonos.com to get that 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product at Sonos.com. Once again, that's Dunk10, D-U-N-C-1-0, Dunk10 at Sonos.com. Let them know that you came from us with that Dunk10, Dunk10 code. So for the Warriors... I think LeBron is something that they're very used to defending, of course. I'm not sure, though, if they're going to do it any differently based on who else is on the floor. You know, if they have Love at center, they might feel like, well, you know what? We can't switch because that's going to lead to LeBron just being able to get downhill uh, against someone who just can't check him, like a Sean Livingston or obviously Curry is the other one that they love to go after. If they do have... Tristan Thompson at center I am guessing that especially late in the clock Golden State will be okay switching Curry onto LeBron you know they certainly had plenty of success with that against Houston who's a better offensive team than this version of the Cavaliers even if LeBron is is still a better player than Harden especially a Harden who's not hitting his shots what do you think of that do you think that that they might have that dichotomy or do you think that they're just going to try to avoid switching completely they might try to avoid it when they can, but I, I agree with you that late clock, that opportunity might not present itself. And with LeBron, though his jump shooting has gotten better over the years, it is still the least effective part of his offensive game. So if, you know, late clock, if you could try to get him to settle for for a jump shot, I think that's a successful possession for the Warriors. And so that might actually lead to you not trying to switch as much because LeBron is going to drive at Curry as much as he can, not only because he you know, he can get that space, but also because the benefit of getting fouls on the Warriors' best offensive player is important in the course of any single game. You know, if the the longer Curry is out and unavailable, the more likely Cleveland is to win. Yeah, I think late clock teams are okay with switching because there isn't really time for a guy to use his size and get all the way to the rim. And if he does, you can really load up the help. And number two, you don't want to try to hedge or conventional pick and roll defense because now you're giving a chance for just a quick shot late in the clock you know where someone's not going to be defended and could just get open for a shot whether it's by slipping the screen uh, for the shooter or just conventional pick and roll defense getting into the mid-range and taking a shot that's normally not a great shot but oftentimes becomes a good shot compared to you know just a really contested jumper that's available late in the clock so early i i do think uh, they'll try to get over those screens they'll try to hedge a little bit you know curry is likely going to have the assignment on i would probably put curry on jr smith i would think because he is less dangerous as a role guy to me than george hill perhaps and then also george hill can run the pick and roll with lebron whereas jr is not really going to do that as the ball handler so that curry will probably be on smith i think they'll have thompson on george hill and it wouldn't shock me either to see maybe golden state play things just more conventional style pick and roll defense most of the time uh, unless it's you know Draymond Green the, the guy who's screening I think if it's Bell if it's Looney we might even see like Zaza Pachulia or JaVale McGee get unearthed in this series remember those guys they're actually on the team uh they like the Zaza matchup against Tristan Thompson to keep him off the glass so we might see I, I don't I mean I wouldn't play Zaza because I think he's just too slow defensively but we could maybe see that matchup uh so and LeBron is not like a completely unstoppable pick and roll player in regular pick and roll because he's not a great shooter. Um, a big decision for Ty Lue in this series is going to be how much he wants to play Kyle Korver because Korver 
while he is an excellent shooter and they kind of need him especially with love out to space the floor he got relentlessly attacked in last year's finals and just you know Corver really executes well and plays good help defense but with the Warriors able to get the matchup they want, the number of guys who can attack off the dribble, especially Kevin Durant on this team, especially Curry, you know, Corver just really struggled defensively in the, in the last series. So we, I, I don't know how much Lou's going to want to play him. He especially kind of went away from Corver already when he was getting lit up by Braun and Tatum in the last series. And as well as Brown and Tatum were playing and they were impressive, Durant and Curry are a whole different animal and they can, the, the levels that they can create in terms of as Durant is so comfortable getting to his own shot and you know generating foul trouble I, I'm gonna be really interested to see yeah how much Corver plays and also for similar reasons how much Jordan Clarkson plays because Clarkson can get challenged by the Warriors in ways that that Boston really couldn't because you know especially with Kyrie out and how they manage those minutes is that going to be when Kerr tries to, you know, give Sean Livingston some minutes at, at as point guard. Maybe they even give Quinn Cook some time because Livingston can. I think he can post up and do a decent job of trying to get some offense on Livingston. But you know how the Warriors approach their bench is is going to be interesting because it shifted around during these playoffs. They did more of a stagger with Curry and Durant in the Houston series than they have basically at any other point since the very beginning of Durant's tenure until they went away. Yeah, and I think we're going to see much more conventional rotations now from golden state with david west will probably be back in the rotation you mentioned cook is a possibility especially if iguodala remains out and there's reporting from chris haynes that iguodala actually sought a second opinion uh, on that bone bruise and iguodala typically cryptic but but it basically sounds like it's probably a, a, a pain tolerance issue for him at this point which you know i always hate saying that because it's like you're implying like oh the guy could be playing but he's just like being a wuss which you know i don't think is the case and then also you're putting yourself at risk if because you have pain in a certain area it's causing you to have a different gait or you know and obviously i think if he gets run into again that would be a major problem um so uh, yeah still don't know what's going on with the all but bone bruises take a while to heal you know if that's really what it is and it needs to heal you know you don't hear bone bruises healing you know in the course of like a week or so you know that's like can be a weeks long type of injury i still think the warriors are massive favorites if all can't play but nonetheless uh th- that's something to monitor I mean, I think as strange as it is to say, Danny, the key player in the series for Cleveland is Jeff Green. That's that's got to be terrifying. But uh, it, it really is him. You know, he's he's yeah. And on right, both ends right. of the floor, if he can if he can hit his shots and force the Warriors to be out there, then that takes away some of the help defense. Though I think they still will help off him. And then defensively, if he can hold his hold his own on Durant, that was actually something the Cavs were really missing last year because LeBron couldn't play center field because they needed him on Durant. They had no one else. Yeah, and so if Green can't hit shots and the Warriors can just continue helping off him, which they certainly have experience doing, uh, going back to his time in Memphis in that series in 2015 where he just couldn't hit a shot. But, you know, maybe... maybe, So he and JR are going to be just so critical in this series because if those guys can't hit shots, then you got to go to Corver more and now your chance at defending just is not very good. Anything else that really sticks out to you... uh, about this series i mean i'm not like that fired up to analyze it frankly because we've we've seen it so much before even if there are some different elements this year one more big thing if a game is close late while the warriors did end up 19 and 10 in close games plus 9.7 net rating cleveland 30 and 15 plus 18.2 lebron was just superhuman during the regular season i think they're seven and one in those circumstances in the playoffs and cleveland has 
good personnel. You know, if they can lock in a little bit defensively, LeBron can just run roughshod over a lot of different opponents, and the Warriors do have some personnel to try to slow him down. But I'm very interested because the Warriors struggled to, to I mean, the extent that they did in the in that Rockets series. Well, actually, I'd say that's fair in those circumstances. So we'll see if there's a game that's, you know, within five five or six points in the last couple minutes, Who who has the advantage in terms of offensive execution and then can the Cavs basically hold up enough defensively yeah I mean the Cavs just are not capable of putting the type of pressure on the Warriors that the Rockets were though defensively you know they don't have a PJ Tucker I mean I I think they can put some lineups out there that aren't going to get killed but you know Tristan Thompson is not Clint Capella uh he's as regressed a little bit as a switch defender uh Jeff Green is is not PJ Tucker LeBron even you know doesn't put on the same amount of effort as Trevor Ariza even if you know he provides a little more, bit more room protection you can even argue that George Hill isn't Chris Paul so this is, it should be easier sailing for the Warriors I guess we have to do predictions here John Schumann actually tweeted out like tweet pick something other than Warriors in five because that's I mean that's going to be the one that that would be my pick I assume that'd be your pick also yeah, it would be. And so I think the question that we could ask is, do you think four is more likely than six? I do. Although certainly you could just see Golden State being a little bit more tired, but they are at home, you know, they don't have the flight. So I think that kind of cancels out the extra day of rest and that Cleveland has since they last played on Sunday. I, I think a, a sweep is more likely, but it, and really picking five to me is more about the Warriors and just what their inconsistency has been like this year. As opposed to thinking that Cleveland, you know, it's not even a LeBron respect kind of thing. It's more just that Golden State is going to have games, probably, you know, game three in Cleveland, you would think, where they just relax. That's just been the history of this team with only a few exceptions. I mean, if they did it, if they did it against the Rockets in a series that they were the road team in and that, you know, the Rockets played really well, one won games won a game in oracle if they had those circumstances like the game two i would say of that, of that series and you know i i have game four was complicated for a couple different reasons then they can certainly have it again and they haven't they've been sharp in the second half of the last two games with a different set of circumstances due to chris paul being out but yeah i mean i could see them coming out flat in one of the first two games at oracle as well absolutely all right we got to talk about the houston rockets off season right after this quick read here when I was younger, in between college and law school, I actually didn't get very good grades in college, so I, I didn't have the greatest job in between college and law school. And so I, like a lot of young people, I got into a little bit of credit card debt. And I, I wish that I had had access to LendingClub.com at that time because it's much easier than going to a bank and they offer lower rates than high-interest credit cards if you need to consolidate your debt or for any other purpose as well, on a loan of up to $40,000. So just home improvements, medical expenses, unexpected repairs, a little money can make a big difference and you can get it at LendingClub.com. You just go to LendingClub.com, enter the amount of money you need, and you can see if you're approved in minutes. Pick the offer that's right for you and the money can be in your account in just days. They've been at this for more than 10 years now and they've helped millions of people with over $31 billion in loans. So what do you get started with them? To check your rate for free, which will not impact your credit score, go to LendingClub.com slash Capspace. Easy to remember slash Capspace. We're about to talk about it with the Rockets. That's a URL, LendingClub.com slash Capspace. LendingClub.com slash Capspace. All loans made by WebBank. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. 
Don't forget again, lendingclub.com slash catspace and let them know that slash catspace URL that you came from us. Well, the vanquished Houston Rockets had a fantastic season, but now face a, a summer of change. Let's just start off with some of their players that are free agents and, and obviously they're going to take a lot to resign these guys. But Chris Paul, of course, is a free agent. Paul, age 33 this offseason. Trevor Ariza, also age 33 this offseason. Clint Capella, restricted free agent this offseason, age 24. Luke Mbamute, who, due to the shoulder and his finishing issues, wasn't able to play a role in the conference finals. He will be 31 this offseason. Joe Green, who is actually in the rotation, 32 this offseason. Those are a lot of guys. And Joe Johnson, too, who I, I don't think was as important. He said he might want to come back to Houston, and he has some years off. But he's, he's 37. But that's three starters. And then maybe one of your top seven guys as well off the bench who are all free agents. But that's complicated by the fact that all of them are in situations where they could well get overpaid. Yeah, that's actually so I wrote it's not coming out yet, but I wrote the preview for the athletic today and I made this parallel between them and the Warriors. And so the Warriors last offseason had to deal with free agency, not for starters, but for Andre Guadalla and Sean Livingston and they had been, of course, successful the last three years. They had made the NBA Finals. They'd won two championships. And those were really complicated negotiations. You know, there were the, the meetings that Iguodala held with other teams. Livingston, you know, just, just the complications of everything else. And then you have the, the Durant part of this equation. And, you know, those guys got paid really well. Those pressures are actually amplified for the Rockets, not because they have had greater success, but because those players, especially the top-end guys, are more important to this team and the complication, not with Capella, but with Chris Paul and Trevor Reza of, to use an old an old dunked on chestnut, years, not dollars. And so these are really complicated negotiations in a series of different ways at the same time. And Capella certainly uh, as well, restricted free agents. We've talked about how it can be feast or famine for restricted free agents, right? Where we saw it with Otto Porter last year, probably not worth the max contract, but the Brooklyn Nets gave him one because it was calculated to get him away from the Wizards, or at least mess with them. And they ended up having a match because they had no way to replace him. He was a, they viewed it as a big part of their future. Now, Capella, much better player, I think, than Otto Porter, a guy who, given the way he played, especially in the first two playoff rounds, you can argue is eh, maybe worth a max contract. It's really tough to say. You, know, you definitely have to have pieces around him. You know, If you're looking at him as your second best player and you're not going to have him play in a switching system defensively, and, you know, maybe, uh, or you don't have space around him to for him to be devastating as a role guy, then it gets difficult. You know, maybe he's not worth that. On this team, you know, maybe you can argue that he is worth that. And, I mean, without him, you know, Nene wasn't going to be able to execute that system and switch out on the perimeter against a team like the Warriors the way Capella was. And the hope is that he'll continue to get better, can improve his free throw shooting, can improve some of his decision-making offensively. So that's going to be really interesting. I mean, there's been talk that the Suns, are going to give him a very sizable offer there's talk that maybe the Mavs could do that especially because the, it wouldn't be the first time the Mavs have given a restricted free agent offer sheet to a Houston Rocket in a big summer so that's gonna be really interesting so and we'll talk about the scenarios in which they add talent as well here but let's just say Danny that they bring back all the relevant guys what would be your estimate for how much that would cost in year one and then what would that do to their tax bill? So I used as kind of a, 
a, a rough estimate, and I like to think of this as a combined number rather than individual. The number would be so thirty million for Chris Paul, twenty million for Capella, fourteen for Riza, and you could slide a couple million any direction there. That that was kind of the idea. You know, maybe Chris Paul gets a little bit gets a little bit more. Maybe maybe Capella gets a full max offer sheet, which would be substantially more than that. Anyway, maybe Riza gets less. Who knows? If that were the case, and then everybody else got the minimum, so that means probably no Mbamute. We don't know what Gerald Green's going to get. Just that group with minimums would be $24.5 million over the tax, and that would mean a $62 million luxury tax bill for 2018-19. Yeah, and obviously, once you're there, you're in such a high tax bracket that even you know adding another minimum contract or uh, trying to use the mini-mid-level really bumps you up a little bit more. And, and Tillman Fertitta is in an interesting situation here because, from what I understand, he actually is pretty much all in on the Rockets that most of his fortune in now is in the Houston Rockets and that he paid, you know, uh, it was a cash heavy purchase. So he has talked about wanting to keep this team together. And certainly he's really believes in being the owner of the Houston Rockets. If he was willing to sink that much of his wealth into them. But at some point, you know, he's, you can't get this team that far above what their revenues are to where they're losing money if you know he's doesn't have a ton of net worth left to absorb it so that's uh, certainly something to watch as well like what is his appetite going to be and especially when you're considering that for houston you know you mentioned this years not dollars thing well if they keep this group together i would project them to decline more next year than the warriors would do you agree with that if, if both teams just bring back the same groups i would and remember that next year is james harden's last year under 30 he'll turn 30 in the 2019 yeah. it, offseason. it's also his last year under and 30 million or close did. to it <laughs> because he he, he yeah, bumps up to it, that uh uh designated player veteran extension starting at 38 million the year after next and that's gonna bump up these tax payments even more and that's the same year that ryan anderson expires so he will make 21 million that 1920 season so harden jumps up anderson gordon are still there presumably even if it's a sh- not a full max contract for somebody like chris paul they'll get it he'll get at least two years i would assume it'll be closer to four and capella i mean if they bring him back it'll be in that range too so you're you're looking at this just massive price tag and those are valuable players to the rockets but if they want to try to pare down costs it's also a very hard group to move and remember that houston at this juncture in their process they're not really asset rich. They have these good players that are going to be properly and in some cases overpaid. Their own draft picks are low. You know, they don't have their own first this year because they unloaded it to make the Chris Paul trade happen. They have their own first moving forward, but that's, you know, somewhere between 27 and 30, you would expect for all the years that team is together. So it's harder to offload salary. They don't really have any extra picks from anybody else. So they'll be pretty trapped. And that means repeater tax at some point in the future. That means a lot of payments if they're getting into it and as i said it'd be hard to get out of it and you even look at a player like pj tucker wonderful this year maybe we praised him a lot on on the show he has 8.3 million for that 1920 season then he's partially guaranteed for two and a half i think for 2021 even the luxury tax payment on that 2.5 million is going to be significant for that team if they bring everybody back yeah and with tucker 33 and we mentioned the ages of some of these other guys it's going to be real tough. So it, it seems to me you now, you know, maybe next year they're a contender. They might be the second best team in basketball again next year. We'll see what happens with Boston, with Philly and their cap space, wherever what happens with team LeBron, wherever it is that he ends up maybe to be here. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So th- they'll be in the mix, but I, you know, I do think they have more guys who are old, who are key, you know, that are going to decline 
precipitously you know chris paul is another one of those guys too now he couldn't make it through the conference finals and we'll see how long of a contract presumably there were some under the table discussions about that what type of contract he's about to get now as well he's eligible still for a five-year supermax which uh you know he'll be I, i think he can still be worth that contract next year he's still a great great player i had him second team all nba this year but you know it's impossible to imagine that he could be worth 46 million dollars or whatever it's going to be five years from now when he's 37 38 years old so that that's really that's going to be tough and and you know if you're going to pay ariza capella james harden i mean he's going to be a bad contract probably i mean not a bad contract in the aggregate because you pay what you can to keep james harden now but you know he's not going to be worth 44 million dollars when he's 34 years old probably you know uh 33 years old that seems unlikely so you know i think probably for this team their window as a championship contender is one more year and if you bring all these guys back you're now paying this team like it's a championship contender for a much longer period of time than they will actually be able to contend for champs just because of age i don't expect them to be able to do much beyond you know the 2018-19 season as far as just really being at the upper echelons uh, unless they can get some sort of great new infusion of talent but you know that's as you mentioned, where their draft picks are, very difficult. Also, remember that other than Tarek Black for the biannual exception, which is also something Houston has unavailable, I wouldn't have expected them to use it anyway. Maury did a wonderful job using the tools at his disposal after Chris Paul. I mean, P.J. Tucker, huge part of their team, getting him for the mid-level, I think was, was a very good contract for them. Luke Richard and Bob Mute was the best off the top of my head, the best minimum contract signing in the entire league during the regular season. Playoffs were a disappointment due to his separated shoulder, but the signing is still the signing. And Gerald Green, you know, did really well in the playoffs for the minimum contract he was on. So just on the the nature of rolling the dice with free agents, whether you're talking health or fit with the system, it's going to be hard for Maury, as, as good a job as I think he has done as their general manager, to succeed that much. And remember that Beyond the the starters that we focused a lot on, Mbamute, Gerald Green, you know those guys. If they get more than the 120 percent of their minimum, that's dipping into the middle level exception makes it hard to add in other guys. So I think it's going to be very difficult for the Rockets to get better. You can make an argument that they don't need to get better. They won 65 games. They were, you know, you could argue they were a Chris Paul injury away from winning an NBA championship this year. That's about as close as you can get. But that is a very challenging decision to make because you're not just making that decision, as you said, for 2019-20 or 18-19. You're making it for probably 2021-22. So my thinking here is that you know the whole point of you're going to give all these dudes these contracts that go longer than this year. I'm sure they'll try to find a way out of that. I'm sure they would love to try to find a way to pay, say, a Trevor Ariza, who they have full bird rights on, you know, for the next two years and maybe pay him more than, you know, he, he might have gotten or, or something that'd be commensurate in terms of guaranteed money with, or at least close to the guaranteed money he might get over four years elsewhere. And they're helped by the fact that most teams, especially contenders where Ariza might want to go, are going to be limited to the mid-level exception. Ariza could be an interesting fit in Philly uh, if they strike out on LeBron and Paul George. Uh, but other than that, I don't see any team that could contend being willing to give Ariza more than the the mid-level unless it's in a side and trade and that of course it becomes very difficult to work out the mechanics on and so then you also throw in the fact that this is the year and so they really need to use their full mini mid-level exception for a couple reasons number one because this is the year they got to get better they didn't have enough depth number two because that mini mid-level is never going to go further than it's going to go this year 
because of how limited the, the market is for a lot of these free agents and there are, i think there are guys out there who can help them we'll talk about who that is but before we get into that if you're going to take on that strategy to make the money work and not just have you know a tax bill uh, even to have a, a tax bill that's like you know something in the realm of what everybody other than mikhail prokhorov has paid you know like 60 million like a cleveland level of tax bill instead of like a brooklyn nets level of tax bill they just have to find a way to move on from ryan anderson's contract and, and he has 42 million dollars guaranteed over the next two years they didn't help themselves by not playing him in the playoffs i think he he at least is a guy who can play and can help some teams so he's got that going for him but at a minimum he's probably you know especially in this market an eight million dollar a year player you know kind of a, a guy who could start for some teams but you know has a lot of liabilities especially in the playoffs so given that if they wanted to just dump ryan anderson would that be possible to just get rid of him do they have the assets to do that it would take just about everything they have if they could even yeah. make it happen it would, it would be a real challenge and remember also you and i have talked about like, this what, one first round pick conference. isn't enough right do you, you agree with me on that no i don't think it is unless unless you're giving back unless somehow the rockets are taking back some salary you know mitigating it a little bit maybe five million in dead money or something like that but another thing to remember here that is unusual about the structure of the league right now which i think really works against the rockets is that there aren't many teams that were have nots last year that are moving into the have column where he's really going to make the difference we talked about how far away all the teams in the east that didn't make the playoffs other than arguably the the pistons who could never make a trade like this or the hornets who would never make a trade like this how far away those teams are so there will always be one or two franchises that think they're closer than they are and so that's really the target for this more than anything else and a lot of other teams you know they're, they're going to value the future flexibility if it was one year for ryan anderson Sure, I think there would be teams, maybe somebody like Indiana or something, just just on the idea, hey, he makes us better. But with two years, a, a lot more teams are going to have space in 2019, and teams are not giving that up willingly. I mean, we saw that a lot in the trade deadline at 20, this past year. I mean, teams just weren't really willing to give up that much space. Yeah, the Bulls were really the, the only one. And I mean, if you look at the potential just straight up dumping grounds, he could actually be, there are guys on Brooklyn you know like what about like damari carroll for anderson right and then do you throw in a first round pick that's probably not enough to entice uh, although anderson i think you know could kind of help brooklyn a little bit in terms of not being that good but also helping some of their young guards get better uh or even a guy that they could buy out as well like very early on in the process and then maybe anderson could go somewhere else and, and still would be a guy who can help some teams that are just you know kind of trying to make the playoffs instead of being you know conference finals we got to go up against the Warriors and this guy can't defend them type of level but that would be one we talked about that on Brooklyn's offseason preview that Jamari Carroll or Rondé Hollis Jefferson who's about to get expensive or uh, in particular Carroll I think would fit into exactly what they're trying to do and you know they would that would save them to just have Carroll only one year left making about 15 million versus Anderson making about 20 uh, the math on that you could come close to making it work on the trade and Brooklyn has cap space too so that would help with that that's the type of trade it would need to be but i don't think one first round pick even still is enough uh, uh, when it, these first round picks are guaranteed to be pretty crappy for houston so you know may, maybe the way you could do it is all right we'll give you one first round pick for next year which they can trade a, a, as soon as the draft's over because they traded this year's pick so they can't do this until after the draft's over we'll give you one first round pick for next year brooklyn and then in the future you know we'll 
top 20 protect or something another first that then would turn into a second or two in the future so if we're still good if this move works if, if we're still you know a really good team you know and and that would be a matter of some negotiation but maybe that second pick is a little bit more protected in case you know houston just totally goes south but if it, the trade works and there's still a really good team then you know they give up another pick and that's not the end of the world they have to give up you know a pick that's that late in the draft so maybe, maybe that's like a, another way to do it but you know even that i'm still not sure that that's enough to to move on from anderson but i think like they just have to they have to I well think. and i should mention i would mention that that also runs into stepian issues long term because then the rockets basically wouldn't be able to trade a first round pick yeah. for a long long time they would get into an issue kind of like more miami is right now and this would be a little bit more speculative just because maybe it's more like what Oklahoma City's doing yeah. with where they have But at least their team is like is a championship is contender right now. You know, that that's the difference between those two. Yeah, that's like true. It's worth shunting sure, it into it is. the future. But you're right, there are big time downsides. There are big time downsides. And just the not having that ability to do it again in the future is is, is a real challenge and for you know the Anderson for Carroll issue again Brooklyn one of the mentalities with their offseason could be, hey, let's see what we can do in 2019. In that offseason, we're going to have some money. Maybe we'll be better this year. They have their own picks, so maybe they shouldn't be better. But you have all all, the, all those pieces in play. And I think it's just a hard negotiation. I, I'm sure that, that they will do it, but it, it's they just don't have the other assets. And, and so let's go through the other like young guys on, on Houston's ros- roster. I mean, Gochi. Yeah, this, this eh, won't take long. You know, does he really move? <laughs> Does it? I mean, Onuwaku. No, th- those guys don't have I any didn't value, really I don't see think. much from him this year. Yeah, so I mean, that that doesn't really sweeten it. So it is really these picks, and these picks aren't very good. And the Rockets also, other than Eric Gordon, and that gets into a whole whole other kettlefish. They don't really have that many other guys that are clear values on their contract, and they want Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon's a part of what makes their team yeah, so good. Yeah, no, you can't trade Eric Gordon at this point in time. Uh, so let's say they are able to move on from Anderson, get to a point where. I mean, they, you could even see also if it's not, if they don't necessarily take on a guy who can actually play. I mean, that would be nice, right? That that would be great to just get a cheaper guy who can also play and help them. And then maybe maybe if they could get Damari Carroll there, then they don't have to use the full mid-level exception, right? Uh, but if they just are, are able to somehow find a way to use that mid-level, anyone that strikes you as a possibility for them to go after who, I mean, and again, we're not interested in guys who can't play against the Warriors. So let's... Uh, I mean, maybe it'd be nice to have a backup point guard who they trust. Uh, it was Aaron Jackson is the only one of those guys right now. And he's not a proven NBA player. They didn't seem like they wanted to play him, obviously. He, he was signed the last day of the season. I mean, I'm not going to say that he's not going to be able to contribute, but they probably would feel like they would want someone else. So they need to get some kind of a backup point guard just to, like, reduce the mileage on Chris Paul. But aside from that, you know, that's not going to be a player who's going to play much in a Warriors series. They got to get someone else who's versatile, who can spell some of these guys, especially with a reason Tucker being uh, 34 by the end of next season. Well, the guy who's the biggest probably fit for their mid-level exception is Mbaba Mute, who they would have to, and that might even be a little bit low on, depending yeah. on where he is in the market. I mean, we would have him higher, but other people probably would not. If Gerald Green wants more than the minimum, you know, I mean, he's a conversation, James Ennis maybe, and we didn't see that much from him this past year. And then, I mean, I don't yeah. think that's nearly enough for Jeremy Grant. And Grant's offensive limitations would be a problem against the Warriors, too. Yeah, I mean, they would play him at center, probably, it would, would be the thought. Yeah, that's true. Maybe Joe Harris, but, you know, Joe's a little slow. I, I mean, he's strong, you know, but I, I still don't want him guarding Kevin Durant off of a switch, really. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really interesting to think of, that there just are not that many guys 
uh that are around so i mean that probably is the best use of that money is trying to bring back Mbamuza, who again they don't they don't have bird rights on him other than 120 percent of what he made which is the minimum last year and we even with these ugly playoffs we expect him to have better offers than that I and mean, wilson chandler probably opts in next year because uh he's not getting 13 million anywhere else rudy gay i think he probably opts in as well yeah i'm not really sure i mean I, on this list of guys now we never would have thought gerald green would be one of those guys but on this list of players wings who are available i'm not really sure who could actually play in their switching system and defend some of these guys that the Warriors have. So, yeah, I mean, just bring back Ariza and Bob Mute and then maybe just try and get someone who can play more in the regular season as a small guard uh, and then and also could play, you know, if Chris Paul gets injured or something as well. Yeah, I thought about Raymond Felton as being a logical fit for them if they want that kind of overqualified backup point guard. And he had more of a regular rotation role with Oklahoma City, but it's a similar leap for him to play play that role with the Rockets and be fewer minutes, but, you know, higher leverage, real championship contender. So he could be a fit. Maybe Jameer Nelson, you know, again, not a perfect fit for their system, but I mean, probably about the best they could do. Yeah, that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Oh, one, <laughs> what, sorry. One other thing that is, is an issue for the Rockets, and again, this is more of a playoff issue than a regular season issue because their playoff rotation is, is, or the regular season rotation is fine with Nene and Clint Capella, but having another guy who's more of a five, it would be just just as a depth guy, you know, maybe more as like the eighth or ninth guy in the rotation. It's probably more of a minimum contract thing than yeah. mid level. But like I was thinking about them as a possible Noah Vonley option. I think he'll ha- he should have better offers on the table. I think uh, he would be a better buy low guy somewhere else. But go for that. And then the other one, just for my own amusement, I'm like, oh, I wonder, I wonder how Kevon Ludi would do there. Just for my own, yeah. my own amusement. Uh, I mean, and, and the Rockets won't be waiting and for the restricted free agent market, but like Pat McCaw would be another guy that would be kind of kind of funny to see uh, go after. Um, maybe Josh Hustis might be someone that they would look at, uh, although you would imagine that maybe. Uh, OKC still could probably... Uh, I can't remember whether like what he would have made in that fourth year of his rookie contract is the minimum or oh, not. It was, it's, it's almost the same as Looney. It's about okay, 2.2 so it's a little million. bit more than the minimum. So OKC, you imagine he'll probably have that offer on the table from them. And so I'm not sure that Houston would, they would have a smaller offer at the minimum. So I'm not sure that Houston would want to go there. But he could give, a, this is a team that despite all the kind of big burly guys they have, doesn't have a ton of athleticism outside of, capella so just someone else who's like a more of a run jump athlete it could be helpful gerald green shoots the ball well and can jump but he's not other than that one crazy game four you know he's not like going and blocking a bunch of shots or you know playing with that type of force so yeah i guess, I guess you know i i started up and like all right they got to use the full mid-level but yeah i mean maybe that's just to bring back and bob Mute because like he's the best guy yeah. out there for what they're trying to do right now and the exact process you just went through is also the one that can be gone through if you say, oh, well, they shouldn't pay Trevor Reza. You go, great. Who are they going to spend that money on? They're just, there aren't options for what they're looking for. And I don't know who's going to offer Reza a ton of money, but he has some leverage in the conversation just because he's so valuable to them because there are no replacements. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that your idea of, you know, kind of like two years, 25 million, and then, you know, maybe a partial guarantee on the last year as well, uh, and that would line up with Tucker's partial guarantee also uh, might be a, a direction that they would consider. Uh, that's, that seems like kind of fair for both parties because that's about, you know, it's not quite full mid-level exception, but, you know, full mid-level exception would be what, like about $35 million over four years. So if they could, say, guarantee him like $28 million 
over three with a partial guarantee in the last year and the first two years are 25 million total like that seems like it would be relatively competitive at that point all right should we discuss the lebron scenario now yeah let's do it so it will be familiar to people who are, who know the Rockets how this procedurally would happen because it is exactly the same as Chris Paul. So LeBron has a player option. Uh, technically, that's a difference because I think Chris Paul's was an ETO. I can't remember which which it was. But LeBron doesn't actually have an, a, a short-term financial sacrifice. This is different than Paul George. By opting in, his amount is almost identical to what he could sign for with another team as an unrestricted free agent just because the way the, way the cap rise versus his individual salary and that means that at about 35 million the rockets could then tr- acquire him without having to go through a sign and trade and a sign and trade would be untenable for them because that would subject the rockets to the hard cap and they cannot be under the hard cap like there isn't there isn't a way for that to happen realistically so then the way this mechanically has to happen is that at that wage if lebron is the only p- player going to the rockets they have to to fit under the, to fit the 125 percent rule, which is actually 80 percent if you want to think about it the other way, because it's you know it's you can only receive 125 percent, you know, however you want to see it. Anyway, so if you take that LeBron take that LeBron option, and then you you do the the basically the minimum allo- minimum allowable contracts to send out, that is about 28.5 million. So however you want to slice it, whether it goes to Cleveland or it goes to someone else, they have to send out. 28.5 million or more in that trade. And that's a big problem for the Rockets because they don't have a lot on reasonable contracts that can combine up to that total. It's actually a very similar problem to what the Celtics are going through if they want to make a trade this summer where they just don't have much filler salary. Yeah, really what would have to be again probably is Anderson with his 20.4 million and then Nene would have to be involved. They've got Anuaku, they've got Joe Chi. Uh, they've got Aaron Jackson, although they would have to guarantee the contracts of, of Joe and Jackson before trading them, uh, because otherwise they would just count for zero. And I think if you had all of those guys, you could get there or very close. They, maybe they would have one other guy. Uh, but yeah, I guess they don't even have another guy who's under contract to, at this point. Uh, but I, yeah, because then you're getting into have to, having to trade Tucker or or Eric Gordon. So definitely yeah that's a good question can we do that right now let's check and see whether those all those guys would be enough oh i, I believe feldman did it and the answer okay. is yes that with the aaron jackson signing they could theoretically do anders i believe anderson onawaku chi and jackson for lebron works and one of the other ways to make that trade happen would be if Cleveland was unwilling to take on Anderson, which could very well be the case. Then Houston could instead divert the assets, like the Brooklyn trade you talked about before, divert those assets to another team and basically just use them as an intermediary to make it happen. But again, remember, this trade has to give some sort of benefit to Cleveland because otherwise they're just not going to do it. Right, and maybe that would be two first-round picks. But remember that Cleveland, if they lose LeBron, they're going to want to get cheap fast and they're not going to want to be in the tax again, especially since they're in the repeater tax, and they're not going to have to give up more assets to dump money, uh, which they might have to do to stay out of the tax if they take back $28 million in salary for LeBron. Cleveland, if they bring back LeBron, they're $20 million over the tax already, and so they would still be $13 million or so over the tax, and that's before obviously filling out a roster as well. They'd still be $13 million over the tax if they take back that $28 million or so in salary. Not great. Oh, I will mention one other idea that could be a part of this is theoretically it would it would require a lot of moving pieces, but it's the benefit of the moratorium. If they got LeBron, 
the Cavs probably, I mean, sorry, the Rockets would probably not want to bring Trevor Reza back. That's just not a good use of capital. And so theoretically, then if they could try to find a team that wanted him in a sign-in trade, maybe that could be used as another way to, f- to get some of the money working here. Because basically it's just sending it out and you could structure this as like, it could be originally three separate transactions, but you structured as one to make it work. One other scenario as well, though, is Chris Paul just taking less. Now he's the head of the players union. So that seems very unlikely, but we should at least discuss it because... Well, uh, sorry, there's one other part of that is the idea of him taking less, but having a long-term contract, which is facilitated because the over 36 rule is now the over 38 rule, thanks to NBPA president. Chris. Well, and, but uh, I'm talking about, so if without Paul cap hold without Ariza's cap hold without Clint Capella's cap hold and if they could move on from Anderson they could get enough room to just sign LeBron James outright as a free agent now they certainly would have quite the skeleton crew that would basically be Harden Eric Gordon Tucker Nene and LeBron maybe they could sign and trade Capella away somewhere and get a little something back uh Capella's cap holds about seven million so you they wouldn't get be able to get enough for LeBron if they kept his cap hold on the books and then, you know, they would be forced to basically sign Chris Paul to the mini mid-level, uh, or I'm sorry, to the, the room exception if they did that. So that seems exceedingly unlikely. And th- But then, you know, the fun hypothetical there? No. They would have full Right, right, on Paul, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's... Which would be, which would be like, can you imagine the, the stuff that the, that the other teams in the league would do if Chris Paul signed for the room mid-level, just kind of set the table for him then to sign for whatever ungodly sum? Yeah, the, the next year. So it, it does seem pretty unlikely that they could get it done. I mean, maybe it would even mean we're just going to trade away P.J. Tucker now, too, who certainly there would be quite a market for him after the playoffs that he had, or we're going to trade away Eric Gordon, too, and then we could keep Capella's cap hold on the books. But it, there's no way to do it if Chris Paul doesn't take, like, less than $20 million, which, you know, seems very, very unlikely. Or, you know, LeBron taking less, which, again, like, those are those are the two guys in the entire NBA who it seems most likely that the, that they would not take less, uh, given where they are in the Players Association. Anything else we need to talk about with these guys? No, I think that's about it. I mean, it, it's such a, a challenging offseason for them, and it might end up getting facilitated if one or more players are willing to take less. I, I do not expect that to be Clint Capella, just because he hasn't made it yet, and some of the other guys have. But, you know, it, it could work. I hope that it does, because the Rockets were so much fun to have in the league this year, and seeing them take a step back would certainly be disappointing. But I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, this is a fun game. Let's just do this. Let's get on record for this now. This is before we've done the mock-off season. But prediction, what contract does Clint Capella get? So I think there are two elements of this prediction. One is whether he will, whether this will happen as an offer sheet or whether it will happen as a contract with the Rockets, and that because that also affects the years. I'm thinking he gets something like four years, eighty million. But so it would not start at twenty million, but it would average twenty million. That seems too low. What, why does, wouldn't it just be five? Why wouldn't guys... it be just a four plus one then at least? Well, my 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 thought is that it's an offer sheet. Ah, uh, okay. That nah, the Rockets they'll, basically say, they'll go out offer, there and get they'll it. offer him at least that much. I, I, I don't believe, like... So you think, like, they'll offer him 500 or something like that? Or yeah, more? Yeah, Tim McMahon used Stephen Adams as a, a potential guide this year. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's going to be more. I think it's going to be, like... So the absolute max that he could get from them with full bird rights projects right now as five years, 146. I think it's going to end up being, you know, five years... 115 120 and it's probably going to be a four plus one to compensate him for the fact that he's taking less than he could i think that if he doesn't have like because if you're a team that's going to give him an offer sheet there's no point in doing it unless it's the max like there's just a, he's 
and so you basically are going to have to say all right you know if you want to take a little bit less than max so the max by the way that he could get in an offer sheet uh projects to be four years 108 so maybe you give him a little bit less per year especially for this this first year where you know instead of 25 million you get the eight percent raises you could start him a little lower and you know something along the lines like five for 115 five for 120 that's that's what i'm predicting but we'll see i mean I, I, it does seem like though i i would be surprised if they can't work something out if it gets to the point of, of a restricted free agent offer sheet especially because there's just a lot of annoying shit that comes along with that too like it's going to be a three plus one you can't trade him for a year uh without his consent you can't trade him to the team that gave the offer sheet for a year. you know there's there's all all kinds of crap that comes with that so i think that they if they can just you know they're not going to offer him just the full five-year max and he's going to just sign it like that's i don't see that happening but they're going to have to give him something to get him to sign on the dotted line especially for longer too i mean he's only 24 so they're going to want him for a long time whether it's a player option you know whether it's a little bit more in guaranteed money than he could get over the four years with the max that's my prediction you you could end up being right but i think 80 is way too low in guaranteed money i would be shocked if it's that low um how about chris ball oh lord I think he's going to end up with a five-year contract that is less and meaningfully less than his maximum. Like, I think that's going to be the way they structure this. It's going to be, instead of being more money for fewer years, it'll be less money for more, especially considering the whole change from over 36 to over 38. So I'll say average of about $30 million a year. They would actually be really smart, if I'm right on that average, to actually front load that contract. They, if, if they could, if they can get him for less than the max, front load it and just take the pain right yeah, away. they won't do And that. then lower it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, they won't. But they should. And so so that would be three times five would be three, or sorry, five years, $150 million. Well, we have to remember, too, in this discussion that Chris Paul already left $11 million on the table to go to the Rockets, right? He made 24 last year. He could have made 35 in free agency. So they already have to make up $11 million to him. And again, he's uh, also the president of the union. But it just, it seems insane. It just seems so insane that he could get a five-year max deal. The full max that he could get over five years, just to put this in perspective again, got full bird rights, 8% raises, starts at $35.4 million in the fifth year, 37, 38, 46.7 million, total of 205 million. It just like, were, were like Tillman Fertitta and Daryl Morey like that desperate that they kind of just said, hey, this is going to be the deal and we'll just offer this to you. And that's how they got him to come. And that's how they got him to opt in as well, instead of doing it as a free agent and him saying, no, you got to get rid of Anderson right now to create the space for me. I don't know. It's uh, maybe we'll just learn that Tillman Fertitta has more money than I think he does. And he's willing to pay way more luxury tax than I think he is. And he's already, I think he's, you know, and I'm projecting he's going to pay like between 40 and 60 million next year, probably. But it's just like, there's so many, this is like one of the hardest ones to predict because there's this aspect of, well, what did they promise him? There's this aspect of what can Fertitta afford? There's the aspect of, well, if they need to compete next year, there's the aspect of him being the union president. There's the aspect of, you know, how much is he going to be worth? There's the aspect that he doesn't necessarily have other suitors either. You know, that's a, an interesting part of this too. Maybe the Lakers. What, what he could go to the lakers with lebron james you know, that's that's like a possibility too right like they could throw that out there for maybe some leverage i agree with you i don't think it'll be the full 205 i could see it be being more along the lines of maybe it's 205 and 
you know, the last couple of years have some non-guarantees in it or the last year has a non-guarantee in it. You know, the, I could see it being more along those lines. Um, but, I mean, they already got to make up 11 million bucks to him. I, I really have no idea. I, I guess if I'm going to make a prediction, I'm going to say it will be the full max 205, especially to allow Paul to kind of save face as far as like, I got the full max. And then there'll be some non-guarantees in the end. And, and so my guess is it'll end up being maybe, you know, 170 180 million guarantee i think that makes more emotional sense than what i said but i'm, I'm still standing by yeah no i mean i i and i don't feel strongly about that at all uh, but right it, that's very interesting that's why these are so hard i mean a reason would be tough too like all of these they have the just the strangest negotiation combination in the league and I, i'm really interested in where it goes a reason i feel pretty good about it. i think that's going to be between 25 and 30 million guarantee i, I think that's and we don't know maybe how over how many years necessarily but i i, I feel pretty good about True. that number and it's also worth keeping in the back of our minds, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, that Maury has done a wonderful job keeping this team flexible, you know, having reasonable contracts. We were a little bit critical. Well, actually, I was very critical of the Ryan Anderson contract. The Eric Gordon one was more about health. And so that was a little bit of a turn, but this season is going to really define it because they're in a different place. So I think you have to treat it differently, just like we would. I think we would have seen with Hinky in Philly had he gotten to keep the job for longer. But that the rubber is going to meet the road there because some of these guys, it's going to be give them a lucrative contract or they're gone. All right, that's probably time to wrap up here. Anything you want to talk about before we depart? So I'm doing the offseason preview series for The Athletic, and the one that came out on Tuesday is a team that we talked about a long time ago on Dunked On, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So went through all the Paul George stuff, Jeremy Grant situation, which I think is really interesting. And then some of the structural elements in terms of their luxury tax bill and elimination versus mitigation. And it, it, it's, they have another challenging offseason. You know, it's very different from what the Rockets are doing because the style of negotiation. But uh, it, it was a fun one to talk about for sure. All right, we'll be back tomorrow with more. I also want to thank Sonos for sponsoring today's program. With Sonos, you can control music with your voice. You can also have someone set up your Sonos speakers for free. It's pretty easy, but. If you want to have someone set it up and you live in a major metropolitan area, all you got to do is order from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout. And then you can get 10% off of one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com when you use the promo code DUNK10, D-U-N-C-1-0. That's DUNK10, D-U-N-C-1-0 at Sonos.com. Offer available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.